0: What a great day, man! Yeah. Yeah. I gotta tell you, this weather's been beautiful, hasn't it? Oh, I mean, if 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 you could pay for this in August, imagine what you'd pay to have this kind of weather. And I'm I'm just enjoying it while I can. And bless God, I'm I'm happy to be here. And I I, I do want to say, as Mike and Dar in the house? You know, uh. We've had a lot of time to reflect since we got back from Thailand at the end of March. And, you know, I've done now ten projects with MOVE. And I don't know if there's one I'm more excited for than getting to uh, build the church in Thailand. And I'm taking three men from the church here with me. And uh, one of them's downstairs, one of them's not here today. And then Jamie's standing in the phone booth. Phone booth. Wow. There it was. You know, it's funny. We were talking about we were talking about malprops earlier today, and just pastors that say the wrong thing at awkward times. And here I am. I I, I rarely misspeak, but when I do, it's entertaining. That's for sure. Um, and with with that said, so we've got we got three guys going from our church, and it's not inexpensive to go on a move trip. Um, it's it's quite quite a cost. It's almost. It's, it's almost three weeks. It's 18 days. And um, we're going to be doing fundraisers here coming up. We're only going to do two. I, I, I don't want to over-fundraise for this, but what we're going to do is we're going to do a couple meals to help support these guys going. And we're going to put on a couple really good meals. We're going to space them out also. So one is going to be halfway through the summer, and the other one's going to be later in the fall. And uh, I'm excited to have Ethan Corey go. Have Ted Smith go and, and Jamie return for his third move trip. Wow, he's, he's an addict now. So uh, that's good. But I, I encourage you to turn into Luke chapter 14. And, you know, we started in this series, Level Up. Everyone in here say, Level Up. Level up. Okay, so if you, if you are, I, I don't mean to put some people on the spot, but if you are 50 or younger, raise your hand chances are, especially if you're a guy, there was a greater part of your childhood that was engulfed in video games. And so this this idea of leveling up, what it does is it symbolizes, you know, in a video game you always start and you gotta learn your basic functions, right? And I can think of when uh, my kids got into Call of Duty with me and it was embarrassing to watch me play that game at first. But, you know, the the more you play it, the more skill you develop, right? But it takes practice and it takes time. There are very few things in life that I ever picked up and I was good at immediately. And I I envy anyone who can do that. But the premise of this series is, is very similar, that we're not to remain in our infancy and we, we shouldn't remain in any kind of just basic understanding of who God is. We are to progress in our faith, amen? We are to progress in our faith because more, the, the more knowledgeable we are, then we can also be able to teach others and we can lead others into a knowledge of Christ. The more knowledgeable you are, you can also know how to stand against the enemy and overall excel in life. I don't know about you, but I I am tired of going through the same cyclical thoughts in my brain, right? And there are patterns of life that we fall into that I believe the Lord desperately wants to help us get out of if we will choose to step out and follow Him. There's also a cyclical process I see amongst believers, and I believe that this is what those that are in that cycle lack. Truly stepping into discipleship. So I'm going to explain here in a few minutes what discipleship exactly is. But here's what's occurring at the time of Christ. There are large crowds that just keep following him. And they don't quite understand who He is, why He's came. They just know that He performs miracles and I want to see it and I want Him to perform a miracle in my life. And Jesus realizes with these people who are following me, I need to draw a line in the sand so that they understand If they are going to follow me, this is exactly what they are choosing to do. And so he is basically getting ready to tell this crowd that if they are going to truly follow him, then he's not just a performer. And so let's read Luke chapter 14 starting at verse 25. Luke 14, 25, I read out of the New Living Translation. So if you have an electronic Bible, that kind of makes it easy to turn there. Some of you have been purchasing Bibles lately. And I encourage you, when you are purchasing a Bible, not to be afraid to just ride all over it. As the Lord gives you revelation. But let's read Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. Says a large crowd was following Jesus. Everyone say following He turned around and said to them, Wait, hold on, I want you to picture this. They're literally following him. He has his back turned to the crowd, and they're all saying, Okay, wherever it is you're going, I'm going too. And so Jesus stops what he's doing, And he turns around and says to them, verse 26, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Who's a little bit confused by this right now? Okay. Verse 27, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For those who begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it, otherwise you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against them. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You know, this is a challenging scripture. And I'm praying for the Lord to reveal to your heart today exactly what he is saying and calling you out to. Let's pray. Gracious God, I just thank you so much for your word. And Lord, you do challenge us in ways that is difficult to understand. But God, I know that as we seek your heart and grasp what it is your Son is saying, but, Lord, he's challenging us to choose. And I pray, God, that in this room, for those who haven't fully made the choice yet, may they understand what it means to step into discipleship. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was born and raised in the church. And I... I would yet still tell you that I did not truly give my life to the Lord until the age of 17. Now, if you would ask my Sunday school teachers here, if you would ask people that poured into my life, they'd say, No, 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 you you confessed Christ at the age of four, you memorized scripture, you did this, you did that. You know what? I was going through the motions. And I truly didn't step into a form of discipleship to commit myself to Christ. To say, I am choosing to follow Him until the age of 17. And I want to start by talking about what discipleship means. You know, it is what what sometimes newer believers feel. That seems like a very old term. And really, I think it's something that needs brought back because what it does is it helps define who you are if you say, I'm a disciple of so-and-so. Because at the time, that word was used a lot. And in its traditional sense, it basically means that I follow under someone's teaching. So at the time, whether it was a leader, a philosopher, a political figure, or a teacher, you would be referred to as a disciple of so-and-so. And And what happened at the time, uh, there were factions rising up. Well, I'm a disciple of this person. And someone else would say, well... You know, that teaching is flawed. I am a disciple of this other rabbi. And so there were factions amongst people. Now, there were some rare opportunities where people would f- fall under the teachings of great philosophers. And if you were a part of a great philosopher's teaching, you would be a part of this exclusive club. And I don't know if you're aware, Paul the Apostle, before, before he came to know Christ and he was called Saul, he studied under the teaching of Gamaliel. Listen to what he says in Acts 22.3. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia. I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel and his... As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. Now, to, to give a little background of Gamaliel, he was a very famous Jewish Sanhedrin, and he actually had a big influence on the early church. And so, everyone that was was taught under Gamaliel, was taught to live a certain way. But here's the interesting thing about being a disciple at that time. Just because maybe Gamaliel had a certain personality in the way he taught doesn't mean a disciple of Gamaliel's was going to be the same way. In fact, the Pharisees, they wanted to kill Peter and the other apostles, and Gamaliel said something very profound that steered them a different direction. Listen to Acts chapter 5, verses 38 through 39. Peter is he's standing before the council. The council wants to kill him, and this is what Gamaliel says. Listen to this. He says, so my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, they're, 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 what they're doing is they're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, if they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Don't you find that fascinating? Here is this famous Jewish leader, and he is telling them, hold on a second, let's test this out. Let's see what happens. But to my point that even if you were a disciple of someone, you were still your own man. Here, Saul, a disciple of Gamaliel, he went on and he killed Christians. Now the disciples of Jesus, they also weren't always a perfect reflection of him. But what we learn when Jesus introduces this word To be a disciple of Jesus, it means more. It demands more. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Jesus called them out, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, I gotta tell you that as as a teacher, calling out to encourage people to follow them. This was a unique invitation. And these disciples, they understood what the invitation meant. They understood that Jesus was encouraging them to not just drop their nets and follow him for the day. They were dropping their nets with the intention to not return to them, okay? I want to be clear about this. To choose Christ today, to follow him, it should be a conscious decision that you are stepping into discipleship. You're following him. You're, you're, you're willing to drop everything for him. But much like that larger crowd, many don't realize what exactly this means in Jesus' terms. Because it's a whole new way to be a disciple. To be a disciple at that time, it didn't have a whole lot of strings attached. And here Jesus presents this opportunity. Come be fishers of men. Now who here likes to fish? we got quite a few fishers In the room. Even John Fisher's here, so we do have fishers in the room. And if you know anything about fishing, fishing is unpredictable, amen? There is not a guarantee of a reward, and it requires patience, it requires some risk, and it requires time. Now Judaism, up to that point, did not have this mission of reaching people for the sake of conversion. And so now Jesus is stating, my mission is to reach people. I want you to help lure them in. But it would require following him and practicing his way. So the disciples knew that they were getting ready to abandon their lifestyle. What I find interesting about these men who chose to abandon their lifestyle, we know that Peter left his wife at home and most likely children. And we know that because of Mark chapter 1 because his mother-in-law was sick and he asked Christ to go back and pray for her. We can say that at the time, these disciples, they were all in. They're stepping completely in to following Christ. Now, Jesus had many disciples. You all know the 12. And then Wednesday night, we also talked that Jesus had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. But there was also hundreds who followed Jesus regularly that called themselves disciples. And as it is with followers of Christ today, there were disciples that were dedicated to Christ on different levels. Some were cut. Completely committed. They were all in. Some were halfway committed. They were maybe a little bit on the fence. So he challenged them with the main scripture that we read today. And one of the most important things that he said that we really have to examine and understand is in verse 29. He says, don't begin until you count the cost. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by that a little bit. I was in St. Vincent in January and February, and the island of St. Vincent, as you can imagine, with most of the Caribbean islands, there are all the time hotels coming in and building structures because they want to bring tourism to that area, right? And we're taking this boat tour, and we're going by these hotels that were halfway constructed and they ran out of money, and they're just sitting on the shore, unfinished. And there's been various groups that's bought them with the intention of rebuilding them, but to build in St. Vincent is very expensive, and so it's been decades that these buildings along the shore are just sitting there, unfinished. So now you might be able to, to grasp why it's kind of, sensical to say, okay, what I need to do is I need to go there and I need to count the cost for everything. I need to make sure I have the budget and it's ready to go so that when we go there, this job gets completed. To follow Christ, you do have to be able to examine and understand the cost. And that's why I think it is so important not to inflate the number of salvations that we as churches tend to do at times you see we we're we're good at making salvation easy and then yet we don't see the turnaround for those who say okay now i need to learn this way and follow it now i need to study it now i need to embrace it now, i, I got to say, the, the old way of salvation is, hey, whoever, whoever feels Christ-like just impressing upon their heart, raise their hand and you'll be saved today. That, that has merit because what the Holy Spirit can do in that life can be the very thing needed to challenge them to say, okay, I want more of that. right? And, that, and that's good, but the church has to direct it and the church has to emphasize that it is a daily commitment. And we also need to stress that once you choose Jesus, it's a different way of living. So much so that we read Luke chapter 14 verse 26 and we wonder if Jesus is contradicting himself. Listen, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I read this and I think, is he really asking me to hate my wife? Is he asking me to hate my parents, to to hate my siblings, to, to hate my kids? Now, the New Living Translation, it says something that I believe is very important here. It says, by comparison. And that's significant. Because this is the point that Jesus is making. He is not telling you to hate your family. We're all on the same page, okay? Some of you came in, you're hating your family anyways. Knock it off, okay? In order to be his disciple, you must be willing. Everyone say willing. You must be willing to give up everything. So just imagine for just a second. You find Christ and your parents, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your children, they choose not to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, they put you in this painful position where you are faced with a choice. You either need to be loyal to us Or you need to be loyal to Him. You need to choose. And if we are put in that position to make that choice, there is nothing more important, church, and I want you to hear this there is nothing more important than following Christ. Nothing on the face of the earth. Can you hear me? By comparison, To say to hate them, the world might deem as heartless. It might deem it hatred. And it is absolutely right that we love our family members and we seek to draw them unto Christ. In fact, Jesus confirmed the fifth commandment in Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. That we honor our father and mother. And listen to Paul's stern warning in 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Well, I don't want to be that either. Right? So this is what Jesus is saying. I should be worth it all Even if it means you have to leave everything, I should be worth it all. And they did not fathom, they could not understand what it is Christ is saying and what he was leading them to because he knew he was going to be dying on a cross. And he used the illustration, he said, you must pick up your cross and follow me daily. Here's the thing about that saying at the time. They knew what the cross represented. They knew it. That was the greatest representation of suffering. And so he is saying, to choose to follow me, you are forfeiting your right. And you are choosing to serve me in whatever capacity or circumstances I choose. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. And this is the key for us today. It says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? This is where it gets really good. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price So you must honor God with your body. When you discover the love of God through Jesus Christ, you are realizing that God has paid it all for you. And so you are no longer your own. You were bought and paid for by someone else's blood. Don't forget it. Let that be the identity of your life. Let me tell you something about that's very difficult about preaching this message. The majority of churches in the American culture today, you're not going to get this message. You're going to get the message that following Christ is easy. But let's examine the words of Jesus. It could cost you everything, including, check this out, surrendering your own personal desires. And that's important to understand because when following Christ, it's not about Jesus, okay, it's time for you to adapt to my agenda. God, I've got big plans, and I'm expecting you to now be a part of it. Lord, you know I have these aspirations, and now that I have you on my side, it's going to get me over the edge. It's going to get me to where I want to be. I am telling you, church, we shouldn't just gravitate towards the idea that just because we are in Christ, all of a sudden we are going to prosper on this earth. Are you hearing me? Now Jesus is not saying, I want want to be clear about this, He is not saying, now you need to get rid of every possession. You need to reject every family member you have. You need to abandon them. And you need to start being fully committed to me. What He is saying is, you need to have a willingness to do whatever I ask. And it becomes that everything in your life now identifies in him and through him. And if those things in your life contradict his word, you have to remove it. You hear me? You have to remove it. You have to say, that, that doesn't mix with this. And I have to change And it becomes a lifestyle that's not self-serving, but giving up of yourself. And so I believe, church, that we need to identify as servants. Everyone in here say servant. Now I know and you know that servant today carries a very negative connotation. But up until about 100 years ago, the word servant was understood as a role. Everyone in here say role. And so there is a role of being a servant. And the, the idea, it, it wasn't offensive at all, but it spoke to a position and understanding that there is a hierarchy. So maybe by comparison, just for your sake today, you might look at the relationship of between you and maybe the owner of the company that you work for. Or your boss. And in our main text today... In other places, Jesus emphasizes this importance that we surrender and that we act in service. In fact, you guys have heard it many times. My life verse is Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The point is, That if even Jesus took on serving others, how much more should we? Jesus deserves everything the world can offer. And yet he chose to serve. And in thinking this way, church, it is so contrary to worldly thinking. Because we have been convinced that our needs, our desires, that is what is most important. What's the old Burger King slogan? Have it your way, right? And so you you, you think about those things and that's the way we've been designed to think that everything is meant to meet my needs. So even if we don't recognize it, our culture has taught us to be pretty selfish, So the greatest struggle that you and I might have in embracing what Christ is saying is that you might not understand the benefit. See, we hear Jesus say you must count the cost. And that's pretty intimidating. Because you and I might think, well, Jesus, if if I'm if I'm going to be all in, what's in it for me? Right? What's the payoff? Of me doing this, got a long section of scripture that I want to read for you. It's in Philippians chapter two, starting at verse three, and we're going to go through verse eleven. There's a couple different scriptures I wanted I, I wanted to read and debate it on. I also like 2 Corinthians chapter five, but I I ultimately settled on this, and I want you to hear these words on what it means to follow Christ. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Once you become a follower of Christ, your life should be lived to reconcile other people back to God so that they can experience the same gift of salvation and the reward of eternity. That is the goal that we should cling to. That is what it truly means to be a disciple. That there is a high cost to count to follow Jesus, but there is also a great value and reward in following him. And that's much higher than the cost. But it's understanding what you give up for a better future investment. So today, where I want to end is I want to count the worth. Not just the cost, but the worth. And church, I think this is something that if if you struggle with this, something that you should write down, my God is a rewarder. My God is a rewarder. Because I believe that if you are actively pursuing God with everything you have, First off, he sees it. It doesn't go unnoticed. Listen to Hebrews 11:6. It says, "And it is impossible to please God without faith." Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So church, seeking him, it's not just for a season. It's not just for this period of time to say, okay, now I've arrived. I, church, I am still seeking him so that I might know him more in my life and so that he might be more revealed through me. And it's not that I'm serving him just so that I can get something out of it. Church, we serve him because we love him and appreciate all that he's done for us. He hears our prayers. He helps us in difficulty. He forgives our sin. He gives us strength when we are weak. He guides us through the course of our lives. And you and I, we can have this direct relationship with the God of the universe. That's got to be one of the greatest rewards we could ever possibly have. You have a direct link to the God of the universe. He wants to have that relationship with you. And then on top of all that, there is a reward waiting for you in eternity. You know, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, not to worry about the treasures here on earth, but he says, store up treasures in heaven. And you might be wondering, (laughs) I, I hear it, but how can I do it? I can't even physically see or touch heaven right now. How do I store up treasures there? But Jesus, what he is doing is he's teaching us a principle in how we ought to live. That there is a reward if we do live his way. Listen to Revelation 22.12. He says, look. Look. I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all the people according to their deeds. Now, I want to be clear about this. We are not saved by our works, amen? Amen. We do not find ourselves going into heaven because of what we have done. But make no mistake about it we are rewarded in eternity based off of what we have done. And I want to be clear, it's it's not rewards based off of a competition with anyone. It's not like, no, 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 out of my way, they're mine. It's not living that way because something that I understand about how God rewards, it's not going to be according to, it's like, okay, this person had so many come to the Lord and this person only had... Just a handful come to the Lord. The key is, were they obedient in doing what I asked? Were they obedient in doing what I asked? Our rewards, they are based off of our obedience to Him and doing His will. Listen to 1 John 2, 3-6. through There's a lot of Scripture today, but that's because where we started today, I want you to think about this. Where we started was us reading Jesus saying, by comparison, you need to hate your brothers. You need to hate your sisters. You need to hate your wife. You need to hate your parents. And now what we're reading is we're understanding differently. In 1 John 2, 3 through 6, it says, and we can be sure that we know Him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So I want you to think about this. If serving God is rooted in obedience, our rewards are rooted in obedience. That is how we'll be rewarded. Did you actively listen? Did you obey my word? When I spoke, did you respond? Lastly, in counting the worth, Kelton, if you could come. I want to speak to the value of your life. Everyone in this room, and I think this is important, say, "I'm I'm valuable. Now say it again and say it louder this time. I'm valuable. You are valuable to God. Some of you, you wake up, you look in the mirror, and you see no worth there at all. You see someone you don't like. but <laughs> well, There's one in every crowd, Pastor Morris, i got to tell you. But God looks down and says, weren't you not worth me sending my son? Weren't you not worth me sending my son? I sent my son for you. And so when you look in the mirror, if you've claimed that blood over your life, you're not seeing someone who's worthless. You're not seeing someone without value. You're seeing someone who was worth my greatest splendor, my greatest joy that I gave him up for you. You know, Scripture calls us his workmanship, that we are his workmanship. In Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we are God's masterpiece, or workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And because of the value God has placed on your life by sending His Son to this earth, to the cross, so that He might die for you and I. You and I now have direct access to Him because of Jesus. And He hears you. So what occurs what should be occurring in our lives is naturally when we understand our worth and the value in what God has done our response should be God I am in your service I am in your service I have counted the cost The cost wasn't just my life The cost was something greater it was it was his It was his life And so now I respond in service. 1 John 5.14, it says, And we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our request, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. Church, I'm telling you, you're not going to find it anywhere else. Nowhere else will you find a God that loves you as He has shown us love through His Son. I am telling you as I invite our prayer altar team forward, my God is worth surrendering everything for. And here's the thing. It's not this level playing field where We all have to surrender the same things. So you and I, we have natural desires that can get in the way of our relationship with God. We have different circumstances. You might have had parents that absolutely want nothing to do with religion. Here I was raised in a loving Christian environment. It's very different. And so where it might not always seem fair, God asks us to be willing to surrender that which creates a barrier between us and Him and fully following Him. Does that make sense? And so God might be asking you to surrender something, let go of something, Maybe it might seem something mundane like the television. Maybe it consumes your life and takes you away from him speaking into it. Maybe it's sports. Maybe he is calling you out into ministry and you've been unwilling to surrender your secular job. That's why Jesus says the cost of following me is high. It's high and you've got to count it. Because I want all of you. So if you would just bow your heads and just give the Holy Spirit a chance to minister to you today. And open your arms out and surrender to God. And let's ask him to reveal to us if there's something we need to give up raise your hands to Him, Heavenly Father, Lord. You see the hearts of those here. And Lord, You know their condition. You know the circumstances that have come against them. You know what they've surrendered, and You know what they're holding on to. And God, I believe that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You are calling some to step out, to let go, to release to choose to step into discipleship. And God, they might not even fully know what that means right now, but they know that your spirit is tugging at their heart and saying, it's time. It's time to let go. It's time to, to, to loosen that grip. And God, we are choosing to cross that line to say, God, I am fully in no matter what it means. God, that we will surrender in commitment to you. Thank you, God. I want everyone in this room to stand up right now. We're going to sing this song. But as we're singing, the Holy Spirit might be impressing upon you that you need to come down. Some of you might not even know why. You just know there's this tug. Maybe some of you know why, and there's something that you need to surrender, and you just need to say, I'm all in. And I'm going to step out and say that I'm.